Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Good morning and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode uh, this morning, I'm recording, it's now about, it's about seven o'clock in the morning. I got up about six, have already been to town and back, and um, I'm kind of in a rush today because I've got a gig later that I'm going to have to leave this afternoon. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. Um, so I've got some preparation to do, and I, I really, really live for the days when I have a gig because all of a sudden... 40 years worth of fooling around in bluegrass suddenly comes in very handy and useful. All that, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to make sure that guy does this. And So that's me today in amongst the, uh, the rest of what we'll just call real life. Um, it's, it's a little more difficult. I don't, I'm going to have to go back and listen to some of last summer's episodes and the summer before. Um, to see what was I really up to, but with my son out of school, it's, it's a lot harder to find quiet time, you know, first for thinking purposes and second for actually recording and getting some, getting some thoughts that make sense. I have a feeling that my, any episode done in the summer will be a bit more disjointed except for those, um, you know, weekends or weeks or something when maybe my wife and son have gone out of town and they're probably equally disjointed for other reasons. I'm probably more, um, you know, organized in the, in the fall and throughout the winter and spring when I have a little more alone time. So today I just have to capture my, my alone time where I can get it. And right now the best time is between six and 7.30-ish in the morning. So here I am out here in the tack room. Thank goodness the weather has cooled off. I mean, it's still hot during the day, and, and the rain has stopped, too. We, we got through about four days of just the best kind of rain you could ask for. But now the grass is beginning to grow. So today I've got the gig. Tomorrow... I'm, on Saturday, I pretty much have nothing planned except mowing. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's just life down here in South Georgia. I want to really quickly, first of all, I want to say thanks to a new patron, DJ. DJ is in the house, as they say, and appreciate you, DJ. And so he adds to the uh, the club of patrons hanging out in the virtual grass talk radio salons and we so in there right now we have ben craig dj gina Lori, mike pat and tom and i've said it before and i'm going to continue to say it you people are making it happen i've, I've you know i wasn't kidding when i said i thought i might quit I, I seriously, you know, I've, I've thought that many times. I actually thought that at about episode four, you know, for different reasons. But I was like, am I ever going to think of something to say, you know? And then I made that crack about, well, I'll probably do 500 episodes. And, you know, I'm getting along about to episode eight. I can't even think of what to do. And here we are. I don't even know what this is. Episode 120. So with the bonuses, it's, uh, you know, there's like 126 or something. Anyway, just keeps going. Uh, sometimes you look in that barrel and you think it's empty. And then, you know, you see some stuff growing around down in the bottom and you scoop it out and you go, hey, this is good stuff. So that's where I am. Um, the topic for today is going to be what's known as a pickup band. And I've got to come back to that in just a second. But first, I want to answer a question that I have received several times uh, regarding one of my products, you know, as you all know, I have a variety of mostly beginner intermediate, uh, bluegrass instructional materials, books, uh, videos, and 
tracks and stuff like this. Uh, for for a lot of the stuff, I don't have much for fiddle because as I've uh, have freely admitted, I am not a fiddle player. I like to play the fiddle, but I am not a fiddle player, so I wouldn't dare teach that <laughs> to someone. But I've, you know, I've got the banjo stuff or bluegrass and claw hammer. I've got a lot of mandolin stuff. I've even got a dulcimer course and an upright bass course. So this this is about the bass. And some of the principles of what I'm going to say here kind of apply to some other things too. But here's the question. Well, first, let me, let me tell you again, I, there is a bonus episode describing the, my base upright base, bluegrass base learning system. I've already described that. And if you listen to that, you already know what's in it. So I'm not going to, this is not a commercial for it. This is a clarification because I've had contact from, I don't know, half a dozen people since I've put this out asking the following, is it possible for me to use your bluegrass base instruction course with an electric base? And I didn't really address it much in the book. In the book, I am clearly talking about upright bass. You know, there's a picture of me showing you how to hold the bass and don't stand behind it. And every photograph in the, in the ebook is my old 49 K three quarter size upright plywood bass, because that's what I play. Now I have an electric bass. I've got a 62 jazz for any of you electric bass players. I do have that. And I know a little about playing it. I don't think I've ever played a gig with the electric bass, but I do pull it out and I do fool around with it. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is because it's easy for me to sit here with my love for the upright bass and my preference that I see and hear upright basses in bluegrass. That's what I like. But a, not everybody can afford one. B, even if they could afford one, they might not want to buy one yet until they see how it goes. And certainly electric bases are less expensive and easier to find. And C, they may, they may already be an electric bass player, and there's no reason you can't play electric bass in bluegrass. It's certainly been done a lot, and it's still done today. But... The question is that I've gotten several times. Then I write this lengthy email explaining, well, yes and no. And the question is, can I use your materials to learn to play bluegrass bass on an electric? And the answer is yes. And here's the logic behind it. And I tell them this in my reply. And now I'm hopefully going to pre-reply to the next person. Hopefully they'll hear this podcast before they ask the question next time is that mostly what I'm teaching in the course are the concepts of, of being the bass player in the bluegrass ensemble and how bluegrass bass parts are built. What notes do you play and when do you play them? In other words, it's, it's a guide to playing the bluegrass style. And this is the problem, that electric basses are everywhere. And they come in a lot of varieties, everything from, you know, well, you know, there's a bunch of electric basses out there. There are true electric basses that you must have an amplifier. There are these sort of acoustic guitar-type basses. It's basically a guitar body with an electric bass neck thrown on it with transducer in it or something, or sometimes a pickup. And they produce a little bit of an acoustic sound. Martin, I don't know if they still make them, but they made them. The old Earthwood bass was a good example of that. That was probably the best one because it had the biggest body. Then there are these little mini basses 
I've t I have taught private lesson students how to, how to play bluegrass bass on one of those little, I don't even remember what they call them now. Several people make them back, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, there were very few people making them. And they have these weird, like, silicone rubber strings on them, and your fingers stick to the neck. They're goofy little things. But there are a lot of people that pick them up. Uh, and they're only, you know, I don't know, 24 inches long, about the size of a mandolin. But you can play bluegrass bass on that, too. I'm not, you know, saying you can't. Certainly you can. And, but you got to have an amp, and you have to understand how a bluegrass, how bass playing is typically done in the style of bluegrass music, and you got to learn some songs and learn the normal keys and things like that. And so what I'm saying is everything in my course can be played on electric because your note choice really isn't any different. You know, an electric bass is tuned the same as an upright. The, the uh, caveat that I add to this, the little asterisk that I say, is that I will admit there is very little or no information about electric basses in the course. So you're going to have to know how to plug it in and make the thing operate, and you're going to be holding it sideways. And the photos in the book are me playing an upright bass, but the principles are the same. The principles of damping, uh, right and left-hand damping, are very similar. They're a little different on electric, because electric strings are more prone to ringing sympathetically than upright strings. And it's probably because they're more solid so that the instrument doesn't absorb so much of the vibration as much as it transmits the vibrations to other strings. So if you pick up an electric bass and you just start thumping on the E string, the low E, just pluck it real good and you can physically see the other three strings are vibrating. So damping and muting is even more important on electric and I do not describe that in my course so what i always tell everybody is is i've got a couple of youtube videos where there's you know rock and blues electric bass players with their instruction videos on youtube is to watch a couple of those there are different approaches for muting on electric but watch them watch how they hold their hands watch how they position the instrument and then remember that they're probably not really into bluegrass bass, you know? So then, once you got that basic information of how to keep the bass under control and how to make your notes short and separated or long and separated or overlapping or whatever, as long as you get a handle on how to kind of physically approach the bass, then you come back and you get to, you know, you get to begin on page whatever, 10 or something instead of on page 1. And then you start out learning the bluegrass bass style. And all the notes that I play on upright, you can play those exact same notes in the exact same places on the electric using a similar technique. Now, I will say that electric offers up some additional possibilities that are not typically available on the upright because most electrics are fretted and it's very easy to have confidence that you're in tune when you move way up the neck to high notes on on electric bass it's not so easy on the upright because you're doing everything by feel and visually um, with no frets to guarantee you're in tune not that frets are an absolute guarantee of being in tune but they get you, certainly get you closer um, so you'll find that one of the differences between electric bass players and upright bass players is that they tend electric bass players tend to not play as many open strings they tend to instead of playing you know first string open second string open they'll play fifth fret fifth fret on strings two and three and they're producing the same pitches but they're halfway up the neck or you know they're 
significantly up the neck. So that's sort of their favored way, because then they don't have to worry about that left hand muting. Anyway, I talk a little bit about that in the book, and I show, I think it's a version of Red Haired Boy, where I, I bring up, this is a technique you often used by electric bass players, where an upright player may play Red Haired Boy like this, and I give the arrangement, the whole song in tab and standard notation. And then I say, now this is how, this is what I call the electric box approach, where it's pretty much the same arrangement, but showing you where they would typically play it. They'd be up there around the, you know, fifth and seventh frets. And when you're fretting notes on electric bass and you move from one note to another, the muting of, on, with the left hand sort of takes care of itself because as you, as you release pressure on the string from the string, the string rises up, but it's still in contact with your finger and you get an automatic cutoff of the note because your finger is touching the string. And that does not occur when you're just, you know, thumping on open strings like a wash tub bass and your left hand is not even touching the string at all. So, when you're playing open strings to get that muting effect in between the notes to create some separation, you have to take your left hand and touch the string to stop the sound. So that's, that's the real difference. Um, you know, a lot of people say, can I do it? And of course, yes, you can. And every time I've taught someone to play bluegrass bass style, I've always started them out with the, the same material, same written material that I would for upright bass. Because, you know, a lot of these people, too, once they get going, they're going to start looking for an upright. You know, this happens a lot. Um, a lot of people, you know, get real eager and maybe they get asked to be a bass player. And, you know, first thing they can do is run or get one out of the closet or go down to a music store and buy a $150 electric bass and you know, an amp and they're up and running and then they begin the search and they, they find, you know, the Chinese bases on eBay and then they start asking around and they realize it's not so easy to find one. You gotta ask around and you gotta, it takes a while to really locate the base you want, unless you just got money coming out your ears. You know, if you got three, $4,000 just burning a hole in your pocket, you can go out and find yourself a base. Now, admittedly, you can also go out and, you know, with rubbing shoulders with enough bluegrass people that, you know, it is still possible to drag home an old K for 600 bucks. It's not very common anymore, but it's still possible. And Engelharts are out there. And there are a lot of them floating around the bluegrass world that were bought by someone who maybe isn't even around anymore and the thing's just laying around. So they are out there. So I would just, to answer the question without burning up any more time on this podcast, I, I want to state that, yes, you can learn the style from this book, but I encourage you to also do a little added research on your own about you know, basic hand positions and things like that, because I do not show that in the book. And I've thought maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to make just a little, a little quick, you know, like a little five minute video and just basically say what I've just said and show, okay, on page six, you know, I'm showing do this on the upright, but if you're playing electric, do this, you know, turn, turn left and hold the neck out sideways. So anyway, I would just, um, I still recommend the, my course because you can walk into any music store in the world probably and find a lot of electric bass instructional material, but very little of it has anything whatsoever to do with bluegrass. And that's the problem. You know, you got a lot of great electric bass players out there and some of them have the wrong idea about bluegrass because quite honestly, they never played bluegrass. And a lot of those people don't much credit. I mean, they kind of look down on like, oh, bluegrass, I can play bluegrass, you know, because they can do this thumping on their five string. And, they, you know, they got all these crazy, very advanced, you know, like Jocko Pastorius playing electric bass. And that's cool if you can do that. I mean, there are styles where that is just 
great and perfectly appropriate. But a lot of those people who have spent so much time becoming masters of the electric bass, you know, and playing every kind of style in the world except bluegrass, then they get parked at a bluegrass jam. And number one, they're usually bored out of their skull because they don't really, they're not into bluegrass because if they were into bluegrass, they'd be a bluegrass musician. They wouldn't be a blues musician if they were into bluegrass. So they're not really into the music and they don't know what to do because it seems too simple. They're just going boom, 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 boom. And, and they want to put some more stuff in it. They want to make use of all that stuff they got. And it just doesn't have a place in bluegrass. You know, if you want to do that stuff, go play that other stuff. Okay. So what I'm saying is these people produce a lot of the instructional material and you're lucky if you get one half-hearted attempt at explaining bluegrass, you know, maybe like here's, will the circle be unbroken? And, you know, they've just taught you all these, you know, crazy electric rock and roll riffs and salsa rhythms and, you know, all this stuff, which is all perfectly valid. And then they go, oh, and if you want to play bluegrass, just do this. Boom, 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 and turn a page. And that's all you're going to get. That's not true in my course. My course is all bluegrass from the front to the back. It's nothing but bluegrass. So that can be helpful to if you want to play bluegrass. Okay, enough about this. I, You know, I don't know if it's the, uh, since I've, you know, bit the bullet, uh, you know, chomp the molar down on the mini ball, as I said, about going for the unlimited time. But I, I do feel freer now to talk a little longer. Hopefully this, these podcasts don't get too long for your liking. Uh, but of course you always have the pause button and you can pick up where you were tomorrow and continue listening, you know, when, when there aren't any other good podcasts coming down the pipe at the moment. Speaking of good podcasts coming down the pipe, I've been catching up a little bit uh, with some of the podcasts that I follow. And if you recall, I did an episode called Podcast Shoutouts. And yesterday I went on and was just catching up with um, the Josh Cole Bluegrass Show. Let me make sure that's the exact title. Yeah. Josh Cole Bluegrass Show. I'm right now, when I drove to town this morning and came back, I was listening to episode 186, Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, 1980, with Baker on fiddle, Butch Robbins on banjo, Mark Hembry on bass, of course, Daddy Bill, and uh, Wayne Lewis playing guitar and singing. Folks, you got to listen to Bill. I'm telling you, you got to listen to Bill Monroe. And if you're going to claim to be a bluegrasser, you know, people come into bluegrass from a lot of ways. Usually the way they get in. Well, you could, you know, be born into a bluegrass family like my poor son. He, you know, he already knows who Bill Monroe is. He, he may not like it, but he, you know, he knows. So that's one way in. But most people come in through other directions. A lot of people have been brought in by, you know, seeing the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Even though pretty much there's no bluegrass in that movie. I don't, you know, it doesn't really make any sense to me. But, you know, people have been brought in by discovering Alison Krauss or by being invited by their crazy college friends to go see Old Crow Medicine Show or something. And pretty soon they, you know, they... They think they're here in bluegrass, you know, but it's, it's not exactly. And then they go to a, you know, like the Northwest string summit and they, you know, they get exposed to the little smokies and the, the this and these guys and all. And they, they think they're really getting into bluegrass. They, they're digging bluegrass, man. And then on stage walks, might walk Del McCurry with his band. And now by God, they're playing bluegrass. That's bluegrass. And even it's kind of modernized because of the, the types of songs that sometimes they do but there's a guy there's a guy who stood right next to bill monroe when when was that was like 1963 who when bill keith was in the band i mean this is a bluegrass boy this is the he's got it firsthand 
He's got it firsthand. But the audience, a lot of the people in the audience, they don't have a clue about this stuff. Never seen Bill Monroe, never heard Bill Monroe. And if you played it for him, compared to that super hip, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about? The Festivarian type bluegrass, uh, string cheese, uh, infamous string dusters. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, and I like that stuff. I do. But I think it's good to go back to your roots. If you don't understand where this stuff came from and develop some appreciation, you may not like it, but at least try to understand it and appreciate it because what's going on today would be something completely different if it were not for Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. I'm just telling you. Now, you could say I'm wrong. You could, you could be one of the people that thinks it's all about Earl Scruggs. And, hey, I give Earl Scruggs lots of credit. One of these days I'll tell you about my several meetings with Earl Scruggs. I think I talked about the first time I ever met him. I don't know if I ever talked about the last time I met him. But, hey, I love Earl Scruggs, too. And Lester Flatt, and, you know, I'll tell you about going to the great Southeast Music Hall to see Lester Flatt and the Nashville Grass. I still got a few stories left that I'm not going to tell today because, well, I'd have nothing to do next week and the next week. Um, kind of forgot where I was going. To, oh, yeah, Bill Monroe. So I'm listening to two episodes. I finished one last night, episode 184. And I, I don't know what happened to 185. I'm going to have to, 185 might be good too. I just hadn't listened to Josh's show in a while and pulled up episode 184. It is a live show from 1980, same bluegrass band, bluegrass boys lineup, and they're doing, they're playing a barbecue on the White House lawn in 1980, Jimmy Carter is president. And what I found fascinating about this is that talk about, or it, you listen to the show and you're getting pure Bill Monroe show. The sh you know, the short version, because, you know, they got, it's a government operation. We got a lot of things we got to do here. And, but then if you go to Butch Robbins book, what I know about what I know, which I've mentioned several times, you read it, you can read the, about that gig from the banjo player's perspective. You can read how Butch remembers it, you know, playing that exact same gig. It gives you a different perspective when you're listening to it take place. Knowing what you've already heard Butch say about that gig gives you a different perspective. It brings you more into the fold, into the know, you know what I'm saying? So I suggest that you listen to Josh Cole, uh, listen to all of his podcasts they're great i want to interview him if anybody knows josh hook us up you know somebody send me his email address or tell him to email me or I'm, i'll after this gig i got a lot of stuff to do today i'm not going to dig it up today but i'd love to get him on the show and talk about his show love that show if you just want to listen to live sets of various bluegrass bands of all different kinds, historic old stuff to live tapes from the craziest wild, you know, mushroom influenced bluegrass that you can imagine. It's all there on Josh's show. I like talk to this guy. So if anybody's got any connections, hook us up, you know, send me an email. Um, anyway, it's interesting to listen to these live tapes and then also have some other perspectives of the same exact, you know, instance, um, moment in time. But even if you don't know Butch's backstory, and I'm sure it's different than anybody who was there, their remembrance of that day and so on, you know, everybody's got, everybody's got their own little thing going on, you know, and they all remember things slightly differently and, I'm no different. I'm sure when I tell a story from what I was doing in August of 1980, it would vary from our banjo player's version of what we did that day and how it, how, the things he remembers and what he remembers of it. So 
you know, they're having more than one source can give you some perspective on this stuff. But I just again say, if you don't, if you're a mandolin player and you don't have a picture of Bill Monroe cut out of an old picking magazine pasted inside the lid of your case to remind you when you open that case that you owe so much to this man, even though you may have never heard him and you may have never seen him. And you may not want it. You know, I'm not saying, you know, I don't put Bill up on a high pedestal in all areas of being a human being. He's just like the rest of us. He's got his flaws and he's got his things he's a master of. You know, and I'm sure you do too. Have both those things. And he developed both, both of his things to a high degree of expertise. I should say that too. Both the good and the bad. But if you're not interested in this, why, what are you doing in bluegrass? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is where it starts. It starts with Bill. And it ends who knows where. But you're part of that story, too. So, since you're a part of the story, get the story. Okay? We'll talk more about this later. We will. Because I'm I'm working on compiling notes and so forth for doing some some sort of bluegrass historical retrospective type uh, episode, so that's coming. All right, so I've killed a a good solid half hour now. Thank my Patreon patrons, which but I did forget to say if you want to be one of those patrons, you know, even if it's a dollar a month, I you know, hey, a buck's a buck, you know. As Buddy Ashmore's old joke would say, $5 is $5. It's the punchline to one of his jokes he used to tell at every gig. I'm not going to tell it here because I don't do it. I don't do it near as well as he does, but it's called Martha and Arthur. Ask Buddy to tell you about Martha and Arthur. And $5 is $5. Um, but if you want to, I've neglected to say, go to patreon.com slash Bradley Laird, and the rest is simple. And if you're interested in that base in, bluegrass base instruction course PDF or the full-blown base instruction system where I throw in all the jam tracks and all that kind of stuff, that's simple too. Just go to bradleylaird.com. Slide down that ever-growing long, might be the longest webpage in the world other than the Grass Talk Radio um, episodes page. <laughs> it's got things really getting long. Uh, but just go to bradleylaird.com and slide down that page until you see something about bluegrass bass and click that and it will point you there. And uh, to anybody who purchased any of my stuff, it's not selling much right now and I'm just... I, you know, I chalk it up to, well, you know, some days you roll the dice and you come up snake eyes and other days you get them sevens or whatever. And maybe a lot of people are on vacation and, you know, kids are out of school. Who knows? Been kind of sluggish lately. All right. So to the topic for today, pick up bands. And I, I'm just mentioning this because today this gig I'm doing, I'm not doing it with a band I've been playing with for 27 years. I'm not doing it with a band that I've been playing bass in for three years. I'm doing it. It's a pickup. It's a, and here's what a pickup band is. It's, it's not a band riding around in the back of a pickup. Although I have done that too. <laughs> you get hired for, I mean, it's all going to happen. You know, picture the Darlin family going down the road in a, in a parade in East Atlanta playing bluegrass in the back of an old Studebaker pickup truck going down the road. And it, actually, I've done that more than once. That type of thing. So that's not the kind of pickup band I'm talking about, although those are really cool too. Um, I've done that on a train too, a couple of times, by the way. Steam locomotive. You ought to try singing with real coal cinders coming in the windows, hitting you in the face and in your eyes, and a lot of coal smoke, steam and stuff. Boy, that was not easy. Well, plus the noise. <laughs> okay, that ain't the kind of band I'm talking about. 
I, I have talked about in previous episodes about being a fill-in player. Like there's a band and his banjo, their, his or her, their banjo player can't do the gig and they call you and you're going to fill in. Did a whole episode about that. I'm not talking about that today. And I've talked about how to organize a band and how to rehearse a band and how to write good set lists and all those sorts of things, which I firmly believe that's the best way to produce great bluegrass is to you know, get yourselves together and start rehearsing and then go out and play and then analyze what you did and try to make it better next time. And you know, that's the way, but pickup bands don't do this. Pickup band is somebody gets a call. Hey, can you do such and such? We're having a little thing down at whatever. And this person that they call is a player, but he's not in a band or he might be in a band, but that band they're all on vacation that week. One of them's in Jamaica and the other one's at a business conference out in Vegas. And there's no way that, but he don't want to turn down the gig. So he starts thinking, now who could I call? So this is what I'm doing today. I got the call from a guy who got the call. So the guy that got the calls is, uh, I call him the kid. I mean, he's not a kid. He's, you know, he's out of, out, certainly out of high school. I don't know how old he is. He's probably about 19. 18, 19, 20 in there. I call him the kid because to me, if you're 30, you're a kid to me. Now I, I never thought I would be a, a diet, an actual diet in the wool geezer, but I think I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> anyway, I just call him the kid. His name's Jeff, Jeff Snyder. And I'll mention him by name. He, he probably won't mind, probably appreciate the publicity. Uh, but I can't even remember how we got in contact. It doesn't really matter how we originally met. Oh yeah. I put it, I put an ad on Craigslist. I put an ad on Craigslist looking for bluegrass musicians. Cause I'm down here in South Georgia. I got nobody to play with. Wasn't like in Atlanta where, you know, I had a Rolodex with 600 names and numbers in it. You know, all you needed was a SEBA directory. And if you had a, a pickup gig or you were thinking about, starting a band where well, you knew a bunch of people and bands were breaking up and forming all the time. And it wasn't that hard. Get down here. I've, I know all the bluegrass or pretty much all of them around here that actually want to go out and do anything. The ones that don't get off the couch and never come. So there's a few that I'm sure I haven't met yet. And there's probably a couple of them over in the graveyard around here, you know, that I didn't ever meet. Very few bluegrass players down here when your population of your whole county is 30,000, you know, just do the math. It, there ain't going to be a lot of bluegrass pickers around. So you make do with what you have. And, but you can't always, it's, it's a lot harder to just come up with the musicians. You know, you got, you want to go out and play some gigs and, you know, your banjo player, he's got a full-time job and he's on the road, over the road trucker. Well, you're going to have to play around his schedule. So it's tough. And that's where, that's why I put the Craigslist ad. I was just fishing. It was just, you know, it was just like randomly throwing out, you know, a chicken liver on a big hook and letting it sit out there all night and see if I maybe catch something, you know, maybe that big catfish. And by the way, they got some big catfish down here. If you're into fishing at Flint river, north of Lake Blackshear, man, there's some humongous catfish getting pulled out of that river and alligators too. They got alligators too. So if you night fish, you got to be careful up there. They actually have an alligator hunting season in the County I live in, believe it or not. They only have a couple of tags a year, but they, they got like a, I don't know. It's like 13, 16. I don't know. It was humongous. Alligator was, was uh, harvested. <laughs> Right there out of Lake Blackshear where, you know, we go swimming and stuff. Crazy. Swimming with prehistoric predatory reptiles. And I think the advice is around alligators is, you know, during the day, just kind of watch where you're walking. And if you hear a weird grunting sound, maybe go the other way. Um, they're pretty lazy in the daytime. Uh, but at night, you know, I wouldn't go in that water. No. I think they pretty much nocturnally hunt. 
Anyway, <laughs> enough about alligators. So I put the Craigslist ad in and he responded, you know. Well, he was the only person who responded. So we kept trying to, you know, get together and put something together. Finally, he and I went to a bluegrass festival. He came to my house, hopped in the car. We went to a bluegrass festival and I got a chance to hear the kid pick. The kid. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. You're going to be the kid from now on. So the kid could play. I'm telling you, this kid could play a banjo. Played it. Plays a great version of that Herschel Sizemore tune, Rebecca. Great. Oh, man, it just sounds so good. And he likes the kind of bluegrass I like. He likes that real good, hard-driving, straight-ahead, traditional stuff. And I'm like, I got it. We got to do something. Well, two years have gone by, and we've never done anything. We've, we've never even played a gig. And just nothing happening because I can't find the mandolin player, and I can't find a fiddle player, and I can't find a blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you have similar problems, but if you're in a in a larger, more populated area, seriously, you your problem is is just that you haven't gone out and looked hard enough and made enough connections yet. Down here, I've got a legitimate excuse; they simply don't exist. You know, it would be like bear hunting in Central Park in Manhattan. Probably not going to find any bears because there ain't no bears there. You know, now, if you're looking for, you know, rattlesnakes and alligators and deer and stuff like that, we got lots of that. We got plenty of that. So, but if, if you're in an area where there are musicians, just get out there and find them because they are there. The bigger the population, the more musicians, the more musicians, the more people that might want to play some bluegrass. Uh, I don't even know why I moved out here in the country. Sometimes I think about it and I'm like, it seemed like such a good idea at the time, you know, now I don't know, because I'm, I'm just not getting in the music. I, maybe somebody will call me and say, Hey Brad, this is my dream gig, by the way. Hey Brad, we've, uh, you know, heard you play the bass and we're looking for a bass player. So you need to meet us and well, the bus is pulling out on such, such a day. And, uh, I would be like, can you send me a tape or something? They go, well, uh, you know, you can just go to our albums. I'm like, oh, I already have all those albums. I pretty much know all that stuff. I play with those records. Every time I get my bass out, I put your record on, and I think I can probably do the gig. And they're like, great. Pay 60 bucks a week <laughs> you know, or something. But no, that would be my, my gig, would my ideal gig at this day. I don't care nothing about getting up in front of a microphone and trying to prove that I'm, you know, like good mandolin player or anything like that. I just don't, I, I've been there, done that. I just, and with the, with the kids out there today, it's like, what's the point, you know, but I do enjoy playing with good, really good musicians, especially if they can sing. And especially if they're playing the style of bluegrass that I really dig, I could rattle off a list of the names of the bands that if I got the call, I, I might be forced to sit my wife and son down and say, I'm sorry, I have to do this. If I don't do this, I will always kick myself and regret not doing it. It was kind of like back in, back when I was in high school, I was going to hike the Appalachian trail from one end to the other that I was going to do it. Well, I never did it. I did hike it all in Georgia over a course of several several sections and did some in Tennessee, but I kick myself to this day today. I, I, I'm not ready to do that new no way. Still kind of like to do it, but so anyway, don't worry. I'm getting to pick up bands. Pickup bands are different because you're going, you're going to do it unrehearsed. There's not going to be a rehearsal. So today, Jeff called me, and he's a banjo player, and to my knowledge, does not sing. And he calls me up and he says, I got this duo gig. W would you come and play it with me? I'm like, uh, what are we going to do? How, how long? Is this like one song or three songs or they want us for three hours? Well, we, we play from six to eight. You know, playing for these Rotarians at their annual banquet or picnic or something. I'm like, 
So basically, you want me to bring my bass, and you're going to play banjo, and I'm going to play bass. And we're going to pass this off as a bluegrass band. And what are we going to do? We're going to play Train 45 for two hours? And, you know, like, I was like, okay, Jeff, let's do this. First of all, talk them into at least a trio. Let's get us a guitar player who sings. You know, let's at least have that. Then we got a little three-piece thing, preferably a guitar player who sings and, and flat picks a little lead. Now we got bass, guitar, banjo. You can back him up and he can back you up and he can sing. We need a guitar player who sings a bunch of stuff who, frankly, who could do the gig without us, who could just show up with a guitar and a stool and play and sing all night long. That's the guy you need. When you're not that guy, you know, if you're that guy, you can just go out and do the gig, you know, but you can't, you can't just stand there and play banjo tunes all night long. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, you could, but I, I wouldn't enjoy that very much, even if I was the banjo player. Now, if you're standing on the street corner with your, you know, playing for, if you're busking, yeah, that's what you do. But this is a gig, so, you know, they're going to come up and say, hey, can you play that wagon wheel? Well, it doesn't matter if you can kind of dink around on the banjo or something that sort of sounds like wagon wheel. They want to hear somebody sing it, so we need that guitar player and singer. So I, I uh, ran down my very short list of local guitarists, which is basically Pat, Patrick, or Steve, and I said, now which one of them, who do I ask? Frankly, any one of them could have done the gig because they all know enough bluegrass and they all sing and they're all that kind of guy who could probably sit on a stool and play by themselves for a couple hours, easily. So any one of them would have fit the bill, but I went with Steve, Steve Strobridge. That's who I asked first. And kind of I think it's a logical choice because Steve is also a banjo player. He also plays bluegrass banjo. Did a lot back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know. Now he's more of a guitar player. But he knows all those bluegrass banjo tunes, so they don't have to teach him anything. You know, if, if the kid takes off on Flint Hill Special, Steve already knows it. You know, he used to play that tune. That's kind of how I am. I'm a banjo player too, and I'm a mandolin player and a dobro player, and a, you know. So I, I, I know the basic material for, you know, that the kid is likely to pull out. When, when the kid comes out with Randy Lynn Rag, Steve will know it, and I'll know it, and we'll get through it, and it'll sound pretty good. And then Steve will also be able to, you know, take a solo on it. So anyway, we've we've concocted this gig today. So wish me luck. We're going to be heading over. <laughs> this just this this shows the sort of the insanity of of trying to be bluegrass. Is that uh, uh, you know the kid doesn't have a lot of experience yet in booking and so forth. And I, I'm picturing and I, I was talking to him on the phone. I said, now think about it. Think about them Rotarians over there. Those Rotarians are they. You know, they're not living homeless under a bridge somewhere up there in that county. These are your business people and your, you know, your insurance guys and your, you know, you know what I mean? Your lawyers and your doctors and your dentists. And, you know, they're the, these people aren't hurting for money. I mean, yeah, they, they want the duo for 200 bucks, but. Talk him into at least a trio for 300 you know. Well, you know, the kid, he hasn't got a lot of experience in this. He's just happy to be asked, you know, and he's just happy to have a gig, and he's real excited, and he's not thinking about the money. But I'm thinking i got to drive an hour and a half, me and Steve, and Steve's got to drive 40 minutes from his house to mine, then we got to load up from my house and drive an hour and a half to get to a gig that's going to pay us a hundred bucks a piece. <sighs> We're obviously insane. <laughs> See, I would have started about eight when they called. I'd have just popped out 800 bucks would have popped out of my mouth. 
Oh, yeah, we'd be happy to do that. We'll play three hours. We'll set up a little PA. That way, when you do your speeches and you're, you know, you're giving out your perfect attendance pins, which they're real big on that in Rotary. I know that because you might be surprised to know that I was in the Rotary Club in Fayetteville, Georgia, for four years, and I had perfect attendance. Crazy. That was a part of my life. I, I, I'm not even sure how I ended up in that part of my life. And But I learned a lot about that side of the world, you know, by being a Rotarian. Anyway, and I, have, I got a few gigs out of it, too, by knowing people and, you know, <laughs> and they find out I'm a bluegrasser and have a band. And so, you know, you, a lot of people are in these things for the service. You know, they want to do service to the community. And they truly do. They do serve the community. But they also serve each other, uh, you know, and through business connections and hobnobbing with each other. And, you know, that's that's an ulterior motive of all all gatherings of human beings, including bluegrass musicians who decide to form a band. Everybody has their, you know, their high minded uh, uh, goals and they also have their personal, you know, agendas and stuff. And, And that's not bad. Because if we don't, you know, we'd all be homeless living under the bridge. So what I was trying to express to the kid is, look, these people got money. You know, they're going to spend probably at least five times that amount on the food. (laughs) Just the food and drink. You know, the caterer. A caterer's not going over there and cooking for 45 people for 100 bucks. No way. (laughs) They won't even buy, be able to buy the uh, barbecue for that amount of money. They'll spend, you know, several hundred dollars probably just on the meat. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask. So I would have popped out 800 bucks, you know, and then if they balk at that, you know, I would start backpedaling a little bit. Well, you know, we could, we could do two hours for, you know, 600 or, you know, we, we could, you know, play acoustically. You know, I'd save you 200 bucks. You know, we can do this thing for 400 if you want to just acoustically. You know, it's nice to have the PA so we could, you know, while we're taking a break, you just implant that into their mind that you do take breaks. You know, we put a little music on and, and you'll have the microphone available for you. But if you don't need that, that's okay. You know, you can save an extra 100 bucks right there, you know, and you start backpedaling until you reach a meeting of the minds. And now you get yourself a decent gig where you're. You know, you're going to make 400 But if they tell you to and you just say yes, well, it's going to be hard to find pickup musicians. You need to wave that $100 bill in front of somebody to even get them off the couch. That's my experience, especially if they're good musicians. Now, if you're talking world-class musicians, you need a couple of them $100 bills. And especially... You know, the farther they have to go, the more of them hundreds you got to hang out, you know, that carrot on the stick in front of them. Money talks. Now, if you don't care who you have playing with you, just find a bunch of people that are just happy to be playing and would do it for nothing and go play your gig. I I don't care. I don't want to do that kind of thing, though. I don't enjoy that. I like those people. And if I'm going to pick with people who play music at that caliber and they can be fine wonderful outstanding human beings that i really enjoy being around but i don't really like playing music with them you know i can bump into them at festivals and jam sessions and and just enjoy my contact playing music with with folks you know just folks that you know aren't that serious about it and you know kind of play weird and you know but you know might be an excellent plumber you know, way better plumber than I would ever be. I have respect for people like that too, but you can get people like that cheap if they're not too busy working. You know, a lot of them are just so busy working, you know, trying to keep bread on the, on the table that, you know, they don't have time to go out there and play your lousy $200 gig. So you want to get that decent musician who's got some experience if you're going to do pickups. You need it. You need somebody that, like, possibly could do it 
on their own without you if they had to. You know, somebody that's got some playing time in front of people makes all the difference. If you got, you know, let's say you put together a little four-piece pickup, man. You just call a few people and everybody can kind of sort of play, but there's nobody in the group who really has any long-term performing experience stepping up to a microphone and actually talking to people, you know, addressing the audience, introducing the songs and, you know, a little confidence in what they're doing. If you don't have that, it's not going to be pretty. You know, you, you might have a good time, but if you're just this little introverted circle of pickers who's just timidly playing over there in the corner, hey, they're not going to call you back. You know, and you're certainly never going to step up into that thousand dollar gig category from that. You know, nobody's going to come up to you afterwards and say, well, my daughter's getting married next summer. And I wonder if you boys would be interested in coming down and playing at the uh, rehearsal dinner because she's going to have a DJ at the wedding. But, you know, I like bluegrass and I'm footing the bill for this thing. So I thought I'd have a bluegrass band at the rehearsal dinner on the night before. What do you boys say? You know, that's when you ching, 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 ching. You start thinking like 1,200, 1,500, 1,800, you know, because you know this guy is writing some big checks for this daughter's wedding. And he's serious. He wants to have that bluegrass band at, at the rehearsal dinner to make a statement. Well, if you're that we'll play anywhere for, for free type of band, you're probably not going to be asked to do that. Because they're going to look at you and hear you and not picture that you're the, you're the right outfit for that sort of thing. Boy, this topic is wandering everywhere. I was going to talk about pickup musicians and pickup bands, but I'll tell you what, in, in the next episode, I'll, I'll give you a little short rundown of how it went. But I, I think, let's say Jeff had picked two of his high school friends, you know, maybe one played guitar, another played bass or something. And you know, all total between the three of them, they have less than 10 public performances combined. You know, it's going to, they might do a great job and everybody starts somewhere. I was at that point when I had never played a gig. I played my first bluegrass gig and my second and my third and my fourth and my, and you know, you build up over time. You got to start somewhere. But I'll tell you what, when it's a pickup type thing where, you know, if you want to get those three people together who've never done it and work something up and start doing it, go for it. That's where it starts. But if you want to just come out of the gates with no rehearsal, do a pickup type gig. Somebody's asked you, maybe, maybe you got a call like this because your neighbor found out that you play the mandolin and you've been playing for three months. Well, call some ringers. Call some ringers and wave a $100 bill in front of their face and go play with them. That's a good way to play with people who are better than you. Go ahead and book the thing. Don't turn it down. Call around. Find, you know, Start getting yourself a list of people that you've met and that you know and who are think enough of your playing that they're willing to play with you and they need the money. And, you know, put them together. This is... It, I'm encouraging you to do this, but it'd be far better. Think about the percentage of like how many people in the band are, let's just say really good and have done this before or better yet have done this for a lot. Let's say 75% of your, your band three out of four are in that category. And you got one that. He's done this twice and he's, uh, he's okay. You'll get by. You will get by. And that fourth person, the one with less experience will get better by observing and by being lifted up by these other ones. Don't expect one player. Let's say you're, you got your pickup band and there's four players. Three out of the four have very little experience. Now they may have a lot of, they may be 70 years old and have a lot of experience, you know, trading Forex currency exchanges or whatever. They may be experienced, but they may not be experienced in performing and playing bluegrass music. 
let's say you're three out of four, don't put it all off on that, that one ringer. One ringer is going to have a hard time lifting up them other three and trying to make anything out of it. You know, if you're 50-50, if you got half the players that are, you know, could go do this without you, <laughs> you're better. 50-50 is better. 75-25 is even better. And then, of course, there are pickup bands made up of 100% people that have done this for a long time and just they just typically don't do it together. I used to get involved in a lot of those kind of gigs because I was current concurrently in two pretty good bluegrass bands around Atlanta, Pony Express and Cedar Hill. And there were occasions where this other band went out and played and it was neither band, but it was two guys from Cedar Hill and two guys from Pony Express and this other guy that we know who was from another band, you know, maybe this guy from Wonelli or this guy from Greater Atlanta Bluegrass, or this guy from whatever. When you've got a five-piece band, and five of them have a pretty good bit of experience, let's say, you know, four or five years, or ten years, or, you know, that kind of, that's on the low end. And they've done this a bunch. And, you know, next weekend they're going out with their band and doing a bluegrass festival out of state. You know, those kind of people, when you've got 100%, it's a walk in the park. You, 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 could, you could do a great job and you'll fool the audience. They'll think you are a real band. Even though you're playing off-the-cuff arrangements, you're making up your arrangements as you go. You're following each other. It's just that people with experience are a lot better at this. Where if you got... Um, just think about the percentage. You know, if you are called upon to put together a pickup group, try to get you some ringers. Don't shoot too high, though, because you shoot too high, they'll just turn you down and you won't be able to afford them. You got to have somebody who's willing to play with you. So a lot of times this this good list that you keep in your mind of people, people I could possibly play with, you know, that list should a lot of times can be, if you're kind of new to this whole thing, is best populated by people who have a lot of experience but are not presently in a band. Because they got more free time, they're more likely to say yes to your crazy idea. But they, they can be very successful. Um, so that's what I'm doing today. I got to wrap this thing up, get it edited, and get it up. I'm doing some laundry. I got to gather up my stuff. Luckily, we're doing this with no PA. So that's literally a, a load off my mind and a load off our back. All we got to do is drive up there, get them out and play. So that's what I'm doing today. And uh, I think it'll go well. But do, if you've got nothing else to do, do wish us luck. Hopefully I said a few things that made some sense. It was funny when I came out here this morning to like, I got to, I got to do this quick this morning before my wife has to get up and go to, go to her job and Jackson's going to be getting up. It's going to be, you know, it's not going to be quiet. I need to get out there and get this done right now. And of course I walk out. I'm still set up out here in the tack room in the barn pretty cool out here right now the rooster starts crowing and then i swear I, I was looking around for my ipod it was going to record this it sounded like picture yourself december 7th 1941 pearl harbor <laughs> picture yourself maybe you got up you went to the beach and you're you plan on doing a little fishing or you're going to sunbathe and you're just hanging out and overhead comes like a, you know, a jab zero buzz in the field. Like that's the sound I heard this morning. Sounded like a P 51 Mustang going right over the house. And, and practically almost, it is almost a P 51. I'm talking about crop dusters. There's a lot of farming around here and there are crop dusting services. 
And man, when they come over the house, if you were like a World War II veteran and, you know, you were, had shell shock and you were like PTSD from World War II, you might freak out when you hear that crop duster because it's going to sound just like a Zero or a Messerschmitt or, you know, mm. it's something else. Nothing like a really high-powered prop-driven plane. They churn up the air in a way that nothing else does. It's it's interesting to listen to, but they they buzz the house treetop level, and the, I, you know my neighbor he used to have them spray his property. I swear, and my neighbor lives about a half mile down the road. He's like, yeah, I get them to spray the property for mosquitoes. I'm like. You're having your property bombed with insecticide by a crop duster. I'm like, are you home when this happens? Do you put your dogs away? And what about your donkeys? Well, I never do have no mosquitoes, though. That's a good thing. I'm like, oh, my God. So what is it? What this crop duster does, apparently, is like, you know, he goes out and sprays for the boll weevil in the cotton fields. And then he's got a he got about five gallons still in his tanks and he'll fly over your house and spray your property if if you i'm sure you got to pay him you know and he just programs you into his little flight computer and they're all flying by gps and oh it's pretty crazy the technology in these in these uh crop dusters so when he gets done as his last pass on that cotton field or that soybean field or whatever he banks that thing hard to the left, comes treetop level right over the top of my barn, just as I'm pressing record, comes over the top, and I hear him dive, and he's spraying my neighbor's pines and fish pond. I wouldn't eat a fish out of that pond. Not, I mean, they don't tell him what's in that pond. Anyway, uh, that's the trials and tribulations of... Oh, you know, it only happens when I press record. When I, as soon as I hit stop, it gets real quiet around here, and I'm about to do that. So y'all have a good week. Talk to you next week. And I'm now going to press stop.